conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that you can follow Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram at Welcome to Geekdom and on Twitter at Geekdom Pod. There are links to those in the show notes. You can also support the show on Patreon, where I will be releasing bonus content for this podcast and my other podcast, Chat Cemetery. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. There are links to all of those things in the show notes, so be sure to do that. It is a huge help for the show and I really appreciate it. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Nat Brummer to talk about Puppet Master Complete. Nat, this is your book on the Puppet Master franchise, and thank you for joining me to talk about it today. Thank you for having me. This is It's very exciting to get to talk about this. Yeah, it's interesting because I have you know, the Taking Shape book. I know there's technically two of them for the Halloween franchise, but it seems like these franchise books are really, you know, hitting right now. And Uh not just because, you know, Halloween just passed, but it really feels like, I don't want to say horror is having a revival because I don't think it is necessarily. But as far as, you know, people writing about a lot of this stuff, it really feels like it's hitting its stride here. Yeah, for sure. I have a shelf that I'm looking at right now that is just uh, a a whole bottom shelf of a bookcase devoted to exactly this kind of book. Like, I love, you know, I, you know, I, I write about horror a lot, just uh, online and whatnot, but I love reading about it, too. And I think the the very first inkling I ever had to do this book goes back way before I actually pitched it when uh, Crystal Lake Memories came out, the book on the Friday the 13th franchise, when I was a teenager, that got in my head, like, and probably laid dormant for for years. Yeah, and I think the reason these are popping up more now too or you know in the last handful of years at least is because of how long these franchises have been going on too and yeah. admittedly Puppet Masters one that I've heard about have not watched any of the movies but what I find so interesting about these horror franchises in particular is that you typically find your one or two, I would say, as horror fans, and you really sort of cling to those. And Uh you're just in for the long haul, you will watch all of them. I'm someone who, you know, I've seen all but the Rob Zombie Halloweens. I've seen a few of the Nightmares and a few of the Fridays and a couple Child's Play. I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the only like, quote unquote, franchise that I didn't love the first movie for, which might get me Mm. in trouble a little here. But, you know, it really feels like fans just kind of glom onto a specific franchise, depending on sort of what connected with them when they were younger. Yeah, that's absolutely the case for me with with Puppet Master, like without a doubt. This was my my like number one childhood obsession (laughs) to the point where now it's like the bar now is i would say easily lower than uh 
any other horror franchise just because of the, the budgetary budgetary realities of where the Puppet Master movies are at now because they never started out high budget in the first place. But now it's just like, you know, I'll see whatever they do because I remember how deeply I loved it as a child. But the the, the realities of like what the movies are now, it's like, I don't think most people are aware that movies even go get as low budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is certainly a thing that you really see a lot of in horror, but not necessarily a ton of other genres. Sure, you have your uh-huh. indie films that hit, you know, like TIFF and Sundance and things like that. But, you know, to dive into the book a little here, your introduction immediately starts off with the question I'm sure you were probably going to get asked the most, which is yeah. why Puppet Master? So I love that you anticipated that. And I that did. is your introduction for the book. Because when I saw that you were releasing this, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that first, you know, as far as the horror franchises go, because I know you post a lot about novelizations, too. So you collect a bunch of the novelizations from these big franchises, you've collected some of the comics. And in all of that, I hadn't really seen Puppet Master stuff. So maybe that's just the algorithm not showing it to me, or I just didn't catch it on that Mm -hmm. day. But I was very intrigued. And I was like, Oh, Great. Nat answers this question right yeah. away. So, one, thank you for that. You're well, I mean, you're welcome. It was obviously extremely present in my mind, but it was also a question for myself, even writing a book proposal, <laughs> even thinking back on like how obsessed I was with this of all franchises. Like I I also needed to answer the question for me. That was going to be my second question was like, you know, when did you realize that was the question you needed to answer first? So that's kind of perfect there. And, you know, like I said, I haven't watched any of the movies, but I'm, you know, up to chapter five right now. So, you know, full disclosure here for everyone, I haven't finished reading the book just yet. But, you know, so that brings me to Puppet Master 3. And I think what you did really well with this is even for someone who hasn't seen these movies, it's explained in a way where you're like, okay, here are these people who were involved. Here's what you need to know. And you don't actually have to have seen the movies to get a good picture of what was going on with these behind the scenes. And the fact that you also include pictures in the book helps a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm extremely grateful for the people involved with the films that gave me their, uh, in a lot of cases, their personal uh, photos from the set. But yeah, like what you uh, bring up is like the the biggest relief for me to hear because that was the other like hugest question in my mind was that I know this the ins and outs of this like as a serious fan, but. I'm putting this book out, you know, into the the marketplace for anybody to be able to read it. And I really wanted to make, to hopefully make sure that it would read well for people who had never, you know, seen a single one of these movies. Hopefully, like, it was the the concept that everything would still come across. So that was huge in my mind. 
And I'm glad that you said it. And also the, the bloody disgusting review of the book that I was very, very grateful for was also from somebody who had uh, never watched a single one of the films. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard lots of varying things about the horror community since I had started my Stephen King podcast, which you've been on, Chat Cemetery. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people have these amazing experiences working on these films. And, you know, obviously online fandom of any kind can get kind of toxic. But because a lot of this stuff happened, you know, pre-social media <laughs> era, uh -huh. you really feel the passion in these projects. And, you know, puppetry is such a big deal, not only in horror, but just in movies in general. I mean, mm -hmm. if we think about Star Wars, and all of the practical effects they've done over the mm -hmm. years, you know, with Yoda, and now baby Yoda, and just all of the characters in general, it is something that really stands out and has a lasting impact on people. And obviously, Puppet Master, not quite as big as Star Wars, unfortunately. But uh, I think only. it's something that visually just kind of sticks with you. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, puppetry effects uh, in movies in general are, are fascinating because, you know, you look at some of the biggest icons in pop culture and like you have obviously like Muppets and everything, but even like in these genre spaces in these movies, Yoda, as you said, a puppet. Uh, even one of the most iconic uh, shots in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, this this uh, image of Freddy with his face melting off in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Robert Englund has said he's signed that tons of times, and, and that was a puppet. You know, that wasn't him. Uh, and with Puppet Master, it was I think it's the easiest thing to latch onto as to why these movies resonate. It's the easiest aspect of what's interesting about these films to be able to 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 answer, uh, which is the the designs of the puppets and the way that they're animated. And I think that uh, is has always been one of the most interesting aspects of of the franchise and of the first film that spawned it is that these puppets do display individual personalities and and character traits and yet they're they they do not even have like the leg up that, that chucky does they don't even talk it's literally just props it's just the way these this team of puppeteers manage to animate these these lifeless puppets that they kind of like the plot of the film managed to instill them with life yeah and real quick i just want to go back to the budget note for a minute because i just quickly looked this up on wikipedia and it says the budget for all of the movies combined has been less than five million dollars so that just goes to show you how low budget these are because yeah five million dollars alone is a low budget film yes Yes, and that's that's what I really try to mean, try to convey when I say that I don't think people realize how how low budget they are now because this was a straight to video franchise from from the get go. It was never high budgeted, but the movies now, thirty years later, are being made for, for handfuls of thousands, like like five figure movies, uh, and it's just like. 
you know, it's it's something that's one of the kind of biggest aspects of the book for me is that they never started out in a big place, but they started out, you know, being a direct-to-video arm of, of Paramount, essentially, and having Paramount backing for the early films. And then they, they lost that in the, the mid-late 90s. And then there was a drastic decrease in budget and, you know, that was a drastic decrease in budget 20 years ago now. And now we're over 20 years later of those budgets just steadily depleting over time. Yeah. And it's not like you don't have people who would go on to become big names. In, right. You know, you have David S. Goyer writing, you know, for <laughs> at least one of these movies. And, Charles Band is, you know, a pretty well-known name in the horror community for sure mm-hmm. now. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah, to mention absolutely. countless others who I have failed to mention. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charles Band. Obviously, he's the the he's the guy. He's the 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 ringleader. Uh, you know, full Full Moon Entertainment, Full Moon Features was his company and puppet master was the film that that launched it and that's been rolling for as long as this franchise has been and that's kind of kind of the the upside to as absurdly low budget as it, it is now is because you know it's his thing and he would never give it up and people have you know, wanted to to buy it in the past. Like there were, you know, there was a remake in 2018 and there were attempts to remake it before that that would all and all had entailed selling the franchise off, which he never wanted to do. He took the only remake offer that allowed him to go on making his own. And there, there's the other big figure uh, for me is um, David Allen, who is the stop wi- stop motion wizard, kind of the post Harryhausen, like and you know, kind of under like I guess Phil Tippett, who did Jurassic Park and RoboCop, was like the big guy. But David Allen was one of the pioneers of stop motion. Came in to do Puppet Master years after stop motion had kind of already lost its popularity, mm-hmm. and still uh, made these just created these dazzling puppets with his team and made these effects that that stood out and helped launch this franchise and i think other than the the budgetary uh loss over time was the fact that after david allen did the first five of these movies uh he passed away of, of cancer so even with the budgets getting lower the movies still could never recreate the magic that he had done for the effects no matter what yeah and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong here because i i'm just kind of looking at this and david s goyer is credited on wikipedia as a writer but he did a movie called the puppet masters and i'm pretty sure that's not actually related right it's it's not related uh that's based on the heinlein on the robert heinlein novel but uh david s goyer I think does have a weird like IMDb credit on on one of them, uh, like a character credit because 
David S. Goyer actually did write a couple films for Full Moon. Yeah, Demonic Toys, I think, is kind of the connection they're making to this because that was with Charles Band, right? Okay. Yeah, he wrote Demonic Toys, and then there was a film called Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. So I think even though he has no actual credit on the film whatsoever, he he has a weird like IMDb <laughs> like characters credit on that. Yeah. So see, don't listen to Wikipedia. Just listen yes. to Nat and you'll be less confused. Because as soon as I said that, I was like, I don't think he's actually done any of these. Yeah. It's weird how the movie business works sometimes because it was probably so much harder to keep track of these things too. Like who played these little uncredited roles and whatnot before IMDb existed. Yeah, 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 for sure. And you can kind of, that's part of why I like to go back and uh, read like, old Fangoria letter columns sometimes from like, see what fans are arguing about (laughs) in the 80s. That was the internet, the Fangoria columns. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, there have been a ton of movies because you have, you know, the first one and 10 sequels, you have a spinoff film, you have those crossovers that you just mentioned, you have some sort of like reboot stuff going on. And it's kind of sounding like the Halloween timeline. So my question for you then is for myself and anyone listening who has not watched a single Puppet Master movie, where would you tell people to start? Would you just start with the first one or do you have another preference? I think a lot of fans would agree that that Puppet Master 3 is the best movie in the franchise and also a great starting on point because it's a prequel. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's no need to know anything that came before it because it is technically set before, you know, the, for the other movies. Uh, and I think, uh, as much as I love the franchise, as much as I even love the first film, I, you know, I don't, the first film is a lot more slower paced Mm -hmm. and, uh, the third movie, I think, is the best movie Full Moon ever made. Okay. And even even as someone who was a fan and even as someone who already loves it, the third one is kind of those like, this is like a, a good movie. Like, where did this come from <laughs> kind of movies? I feel like a lot of people say that about the third Halloween, too, even though Michael Myers <laughs> is not in it. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. like, what's this? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it comes out of nowhere because... The third film gets this great cast of mostly English, uh, respectable, like, uh, genre actors and looks way more expensive than it is because David Dakota, who was the director, managed to secure the Universal backlot. So they actually shot that film over at the Universal studio for, like, you know, four days of exteriors they had to work with that they just milked. Uh, And it winds up looking great because it's a film set uh, in World War II. So it has, it's much more demanding than the first two movies, which are by and large about uh, puppets running around an empty hotel. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually want to talk about the time period these are set in because That's also something you don't really see with these big franchises because some of these are set, you know, in the early 1900s, in the 1940s. And then you have this sort of jump to 
you know, that first one that takes place the year it came out, which is 1989. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you are watching like Halloween and the Friday the 13th and Child's Play and so on and so forth, they're very much of the time period that they're coming out in. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting that they jumped so far back after that first movie came out because 40 plus years or you know 80 plus in the case of retro puppet master that's a huge time gap that's not like hey we wanted to revisit you know these same characters five or ten years beforehand it's like a totally different generation yeah that's absolutely a part of it is that uh the the first film the first film is kind of the way it approaches the time. It's it's similar to things like Friday the 13th and Halloween, where you have this thing that happened in the past that is now your, your, you know, like you had Michael Myers kill his sister 15 years ago, and now you're back in the present. But it is, in this case, an old uh, puppeteer who uh, you, you see right from the opening scene of the film, his puppets are alive, and the Nazis are, are closing in on him, and he shoots himself before they can get to to his room then we jump 50 years later and we don't really answer a lot of that in (laughs) in the film and so the question of who is this old puppeteer andre toulon how are his puppets alive why were the nazis after him why did he shoot himself like those things are are touched upon in that first film but not really directly answered so that leaves you in a place to kind of go and make a prequel kind of immediate set immediately before that about okay what was it who was this old man what happened to him what what happened with the nazis yeah and the nazi angle also fairly unique for these horror franchises yes and that's uh kind of what i love about puppet master 3 so much is that all of a sudden it takes this franchise that was that was fun and unique and, and whimsical and uh, suddenly it has meaning because we know that the puppets, they they have individual characteristics and personalities from the first two films. But the third film uh, kind of cements a, a new direction for the franchise from that point on uh, that kind of would impact all of the films moving forward by revealing that the puppets were uh, once human beings, that these were friends of the puppet master Andre Toulon or loved ones okay. who were uh, Jewish people uh, killed by the Nazis who wanted uh, a chance to go on fighting after after death and take revenge on their oppressors. And all of a sudden, there's this Jewish golem message and this weirdly impactful idea of this uh, old man this old Jewish man in, in war-torn Germany, literally carrying his dead loved ones with him wherever he goes. That sure is something. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I am learning so much about Puppet Master today. <laughs> and I want to keep it going because you didn't just cover the movie franchise. You went all in. You covered the action figures. You covered the comics. Are those all things that you at least own in some capacity too. And that's why you were like, okay, 
I need to go all in on this. And, you know, I haven't read Taking Shape yet. You cannot see my shelves at the moment, but I have five bookshelves in this room and I have not gotten to every single book just yet. But, you know, that really felt like it wanted to focus a lot more on the movies. And I could be wrong because, like I said, I haven't read it. But, you know, you even go into the Unmade trilogy and, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of sprinkle some of these things in between the movie releases. So it kind of breaks it up a little. What was the thinking behind including all of those things as well? It was a huge thing for me. And uh, one of the biggest reasons, not that I was totally sure somebody else would come along and write the Puppet Master book, but one (laughs) of the biggest reasons I wanted to do it before anybody else did was because I thought these other aspects of it were hugely important because that is in general the way Full Moon works as an entity, as uh, a very, very small film company is they do the the tie-ins and things that give them essentially the, the the money to fund the future movies. So it is this kind of like self-fulfilling thing of they make things for the fans that give them the, the resources to make new movies. But it's also the fact that these things outside the films have had an unbelievable impact on the films themselves like puppet master three like i said the the plot uh that movie is probably the most celebrated of the puppet master movies and the the backbone of the plot of that movie comes from a comic book uh that came out immediately after the first film oh absolutely yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's really like this this single issue of a comic book that was done just to tie into the first movie that actually introduced most of the uh, components of the mythology. And then uh, uh, the, the action figure series in the late 90s, that was how I discovered Puppet Master in the first place. I was getting into horror at the time. I was a big like Universal Monsters kid, a big Stephen King kid. And I just in a magazine saw an ad for the puppet master toys and i was so taken with the design of these characters and you know that those action figures got so many more eyes on puppet master as a brand and uh you know there were there were puppets that had been killed off in the movies by that point that probably would never have come back if it weren't for the fact that they did a movie called curse of the puppet master at the time they were making the action figures as basically a toy commercial to remind people that these characters existed and brought back some of those characters that were killed off because they had to sell toys. And puppets are kind of the perfect character for, you know, merchandising because you can do so many different kinds of toys, you know, you could do Mm -hmm. literal puppets. And like you said, action figures, comics, and I feel like merchandising has been so important for so many horror franchises. And it also feels like the thing that people don't really think about. Because, you know, people are like, why have there been 10 of these movies? And it's like, how many times have you gone out and seen people wearing either, you know, Michael, Freddie, Jason costumes on Halloween, or just 
horror merch with those iconic masks and faces on them in general. And that is why those things stick around because it's like, okay, we can do a whole new cycle of merch, especially, you know, with Halloween in particular, because of all the different iterations of Michael's mask, you know, there's hardcore fans that are going to go collect those, just like there are hardcore fans for Puppet Master who probably wanted all of those action figures. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking uh, basically at a whole shelf of them (laughs) right now. But yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is that there has been this, at the end of the 90s, there was this huge, uh, collector boom especially for for figures for these uh for horror characters in general that's only gotten like bigger and bigger and and bigger since and puppet master was right ahead of that curve uh it came out basically a year before uh a toy series called movie maniacs that was the first time we had action figures of like jason and freddie and michael myers and now that's a huge thing and Puppet Master was kind of a, just before that, just a notch before that. But my favorite thing about them as action figures, unlike any other horror collectibles I've come across, is that the Puppet Master figures were like actually action figures. Okay. Like, like literally designed in the same way that like an, an X-Men or Spider-Man toy was like, <laughs> They had action features. That is amazing. And, you know, without people wanting these things, we wouldn't have companies like NECA making a ton of these or Fright Rags and Gutter Garbs doing all of this horror merch. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way, these franchises have given so many other people jobs who weren't even involved in the movies just because of the merchandising. And look, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say this is on the scale of Disney, Marvel, DC, you know, so on and so forth, because horror was never meant to be that really. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people love horror, yes, but you're not really targeting children unless Mm -hmm. you're Pennywise, then you definitely are. But, you know, it's not something that is necessarily going to resonate in the same way that superheroes do. And even though a lot of us ended up watching movies like Puppet Master or the It miniseries and stuff when we were way too young to be watching them, Mm -hmm. that's what does it for us. That's why we buy these things as Mm -hmm. adults. That's why I have Stephen King Funko's sitting on a shelf for both himself and the characters. So it's one of those things where you look at how low budget some of these early horror movies were, and now it kind of blows my mind to sit here and think about all of the merchandising that has happened because of this. Because it's not like a horror shirt costs less than a Spider-Man shirt. In fact, you could probably get a Spider-Man shirt cheaper than you could get any Halloween shirt. Yes, for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, you, after you said it, like, it is the most uh, surreal thing to me that this year in 2021, NECA did Puppet Master. Yeah. And I have gone to Target this year and seen Puppet Master figures on the shelf in Target. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. It's unbelievable. And that's, uh, 
one of the fa- most fascinating things about the the franchise as it sits currently is that it is both bigger and smaller than it has ever been before because uh, there are toys in Target. There is a video game coming out next year. I have seen uh, a Blade Puppet Master mask at at Spirit Halloween. Yeah, and yet the the films currently are being shot in like four days, uh, <laughs> made for a handful of thousand, uh, being made exclusively for a, an echo chamber of subscribers to the streaming service. Yeah, it is so amazing to see that happen. And, you know, to go back to the horror community, it's because people love and appreciate these things, even if we are okay with acknowledging that they're not masterpieces. You could say that John Carpenter's Halloween is probably top tier for a lot of people. But I imagine if you asked people to like rank their favorite horror franchises, Puppet Master probably top of your list, but maybe not a lot of other people. Yeah. Every time I see that big like question like go around Twitter or whatever favorite horror franchises, there are hundreds of replies and usually one or two people saying puppet master so yeah it's uh and like i was i've always been intimately aware of it because when i was a kid everybody i could always convince my friends to watch halloween everybody knew who michael myers was nobody knew puppet master uh that's why i say like in the introduction i was like a puppet master like child recruitment service because i was always convinced like having to explain to my friends what it was and then having them watch the movie and then kind of making new fans just so I'd have people to talk about it with. Yeah. And I will admit this is a complete blind spot for me. And, you know, it's funny because I kind of did things backwards when it comes to getting into horror. It's like, yeah, I had hung out with friends on Halloween and watched these movies that we weren't supposed to watch, but we almost never finished them because then we would just go out and go trick-or-treating and sort our candy after, and then, you know, everyone was going home. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like they stuck with me, but not enough for me to really start diving into them until I started Chat Cemetery a few years ago. So, you know, I was hitting a lot of this stuff much, much later than a lot of the avid horror fans out there. And I don't think anyone would have noticed if I hadn't just said it. But (laughs) at the same time, you know, I'm sure you feel this way. You're just stoked when someone finds out about Puppet Master and gets into it regardless of when they do so. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's exciting to me about people reading the book who've never seen the movies before is because I know even from the action figure series that each one of these ancillary things that aren't the movies eventually bring new eyes to the movies. Yeah. And that's, that's especially why I wanted to cover uh, the more recent comic series in the book. Cause there was a comic series uh, from 2014 that became very successful, ran for 20 uh, straight issues. That's a lot these days, too. Yeah. For anyone who is not familiar with comics, there's like a lot of shorter series happening now. So to get to 20 issues, that's a pretty big deal, especially for a comic based on Puppet Master. 
that's a thing for like even like any licensed uh horror comic it's it's virtually unheard of you know the, the last thing i know to to do it like to get that run successfully was hellraiser but uh uh, the Puppet Master comics were great because they were coming out in this current era of uh, movies being made for such little money and movies that have been so absurdly restricted that now you have a comic series and you're only limited by the imagination. And the other thing is that the current films, because Puppet Master 3 eventually grew this reputation of being so successful, uh, for that prequel set in the forties that uh, most of the recent movies have been prequels set in the forties to try to recapture (laughs) that magic. So the other thing is that one, you have this comic series where you can finally like do whatever you want. And you have this comic series that is the only thing currently telling puppet master stories set in the present day. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's very obvious just from, sitting here and talking with you about this, that you love this franchise so much. And, you know, you probably had a ton of fun writing this book. But what was the toughest part about doing this book? Were you worried not enough people were going to be into it? Were you, you know, worried you weren't going to be able to talk to some of the people you wanted to talk to just because they might not exist on the internet and be hard to find? What was the sort of hardest part of this process for you? That was a big one, but uh, that actually got better the more I did it, which is the like, yeah, there were people that uh, didn't want to talk or uh, Mm -hmm. didn't want to say anything. And that was uh, actually wound up being better for me because I knew the style I wanted to write this book in and I didn't just want it to be an oral history comprised right. exclusively of, of interviews because uh, I felt the uh, the overview and the analysis part of it was, was important as well. Um, so not getting, I definitely did not get everybody I reached out to. Yeah. But that uh, didn't bother me uh, after I got the first couple of, after I was ghosted the first couple of times. Um, it was really, uh, I think the biggest thing was that, uh, really, uh, the biggest thing was that there are so many different accounts of what happened because these movies were so long ago. Yeah. And these movies were shot in substantially less time than most any other horror franchises. And that was uh, a something that I also was fine with reaching out to people and not getting an answer back is because I am certain some people I reached out to did not remember that they made a Puppet Master movie. (laughs) That's fair, because when you think about it, you know, we're in 2021 now, and the first movie would have been made in 89. And Mm -hmm. well, one, I wasn't born then. So of course, I wouldn't remember 1989. But you know, who is going to remember a handful of days in specific detail from, you know, 30 plus years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like Barbara Crampton, who is, she's a, I mean, a horror legend, but I didn't get to interview her for the book though. That was just a, I think a timing thing. She was very gracious, but I've gotten to talk to her uh, and interview her in like other capacities. And I obviously, because 
I, I'm me, she was in the original Puppet Master for one scene. <laughs> and she remembers it vividly, even though she was called that day to ask if she could go down to Full Moon's studio and shoot a scene. And so there's a scene in the movie where she's talking to uh, a fortune teller where they're not actually in the scene together. She's just talking to a wall. <laughs> she was asked to do it that morning, uh, just like giving her lines on the spot and nailed it. But it's, it was amazing. It's amazing to me that she even remembered that. I wonder if it's because it was so bizarre. You know, that's not usually how these things happen in the movie business. I bet it wasn't terribly bizarre for, for Charlie Band and Full Moon. That's so, fair. <laughs> but uh, she did that. And then I think part of that, though, probably, probably why she remembers that, is that despite being in a single scene she filmed like on the day, she's heavily promoted in the trailer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a that's a big part of it. And she did uh come back for the reboot for a much more substantial role. But yeah, it was things like, you know, there were so many, so many conflicting memories of things that did or didn't happen on Full Moon. And I kind of had to just take people at their word. Sort through it all. <laughs> yeah. That was the toughest thing. And uh there was finding all the information first of all. Uh, scheduling the interviews because, like, this book took me about three years to write. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was just the availability of people I knew I wanted to talk to who were gracious enough to talk with me. And a lot of it was also, I got my hands on every single issue of Fangoria, Gorezone, whatever, any anything that had ever covered the franchise. So gathering literally every possible research material that was out there was probably the toughest thing that took up the most time. Oh, I can imagine because as you know, I do two weekly podcasts here and mm -hmm. just scheduling people a couple times a week to a few times a week and then, you know, reminding them and following up and being like, all right, are we still good? Okay, great. Mm -hmm. We can do this, you know, today still. That's good. And the fact that a lot of books like this are written by people who still have other jobs to do, first of all, <laughs> and still have yeah. to, you know, like you did, schedule all of these interviews. And then, you know, I know there are better ways to transcribe things now than there used to be, but yeah. getting them all transcribed, picking them apart, and Mm -hmm. choosing the parts that fit the story you're telling. And obviously, this is nonfiction. So, you know, the facts are the facts, depending on who is telling them to you, I guess. And it's like you knew going into it, you wanted to cover beyond just the movies. So even, you know, tracking down people to talk about the figures in the comics, that's just so, so much. It actually makes my head hurt a little bit because I'm like, yeah. wow, here I am struggling to get people to show up on time to podcasts, you know, like once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and some people were involved with like several movies too. Or yeah. like really involved with the company because Full Moon did so many things in-house. Like, really involved with the company for such a long period of time that these were not short interviews 
by any stretch. Yeah. And I imagine you probably had to schedule some people more than once if they didn't have like, you know, six hours in a day to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that happened a couple of times, people just to break it up. But yeah. And like, you know, we like you just brought up talking people like from the toys. That was one of my favorite interviews was to talk to the vice president of the toy company because that was the other thing is that the original line of Puppet Master toys were from a company called Full Moon Toys. It was just <laughs> Full Moon's own toy division. And like Full Moon made the toys themselves and like got them in retailers and in stores. And that was one of the biggest people on my list to talk to because he, he hadn't done many interviews talking about this and he was crucial to like what that franchise was at that time. And I know being a fan and growing up as a fan, especially when those toys were new, is that like many things uh, in Full Moon history, they eventually they were canceled and uh, ran out of money. So there were a lot of uh, toys that were planned and promised and stuff that, that never came out. Uh, and that was the other big thing with like the unmade trilogy of films. It's like these never happened. They never came out. Yeah. Uh, and I know people have so many questions about them. And I was so glad to cover them because going through them and reading the scripts for them and everything and just combing through them in detail, I was like, oh, my God, I can see bits of these unmade movies, little like this or that or this, even a full character or whatever in the films that followed. So like every movie that kind of did get made afterwards borrowed something from those movies that never happened. Yeah, it's always fun to dig into that stuff. And, you know, Nat, I have learned so much about Puppet Master today. I want to thank you so much for joining me. And do you have any final words about the book other than everyone go buy it? I am just so happy with the response I've seen already. This was such a passion project for me. This was such a long experience that I kind of wondered if it would ever actually come out. So I'm just so happy that the book exists and is out there now. And is not this, as much as I love it, and as much as the book helped me rediscover my love of it, that I, I'm just so happy it's not this shadow looming over my shoulder of this thing that I need to get get done by the deadline <laughs> anymore. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm happy so much for the support that I've gotten. I absolutely encourage anyone with the remotest interest in the franchise to please buy, buy it uh, and check it out because I all I wanted to do was make the book I wanted to see as a fan. And I'm, I'm so gracious for anybody who's who's read it so far amazing thank you again Nat thank you 